Welcome to Careers in Crescendo Lessons for Musicians. I'm your host, Jeff Dunn. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by Joshua Conyers, Assistant Professor of Voice at the Eastman School of Music. At the time of this conversation, Professor Conyers was in his first semester on the faculty and shared his journey as a young musician, stories about those who influenced his career, as well as some details on meaningful projects. I know you'll really enjoy listening to this episode and hope you'll stay engaged with Professor Conyers to learn more about his upcoming album release and performances. Enjoy! Professor Conyers, welcome. It's such a pleasure to have you here with us today. Thank you. Could you just uh, share a little bit about your background and your journey that led you to be a part of the Eastman faculty? Oh, uh, where to begin? Always was a singer kid. From what I can remember, I was singing. So I was I'm actually originally from uh, New York City, from the Bronx. And when I moved to Virginia, I moved to Chesapeake, Virginia. That's when I started my first boy band. Uh-huh, with me and two friends, and we went around singing in talent shows and different things like that, try to get a record deal, all those things that, you know, we tried and we failed. But one of my friends, my best friend in the group, um, when we got to high school, um, he started doing this program called the Governor's School for the Arts in Norfolk, Virginia. Um, high school program with, with, like, you go to school, we have a home school, we go to normal school, and then we leave half of the day, and then you go to do arts classes. So I, freshman year, I wanted to play sports, so that's what I did. I did football, basketball, and track. I was a shot put guy, and uh, I ran the 800 for fun. I wasn't good at it, but I did it because there was an unlimited amount of people, so I said I did it. So he was doing that program. He was he told me about it. He was like, man, we don't get to hang out anymore because I'm doing this program and you're playing sports. He was like, do you, do you sure you want to continue with sports? Do you see a future in that? And I was like, no, no, probably not. He taught me a song in Italian, and I auditioned, and I got in. I was super excited. It was really cool. So I went my sophomore year, and uh, when I got there, I found out that they were doing opera, and I'm like, oh, well, what's that? What's opera? So, you know, I'm starting to take lessons, and I'm sitting in theory classes, full-blown college. You know, I'm taking all of these different kinds of classes, and I'm just like, oh, this sucks. Opera sucks. Opera's hard. I don't like it. So I actually, I put in, I told them that I didn't want to come back the next year. They cast me in the show that year, um, and um, we took a trip back to New York City to the Met and the New York City Opera when New York City Opera was still in the Lincoln Center, and went to a couple shows. Went to go see Magic Flute first. I was bored out of my mind. Thought it was boring. I know. Terrible. I love Magic Flute. I love Mozart. Um, but back then, I was like, uh, this is boring. I don't like it. But they go see Pearl Fishers at New York City Opera. Hated it. I was just like, okay, this is just not for me, man. I was just like, this, this is this is not the path I'm supposed to go down. Then the last show we saw was Torn Dot, um, Zeffirelli, oh, Zeffirelli production that just got put away a couple years ago, which is sad, and it blew me away. I, I, I fell in love with opera that night, um, and it was just what seemed like a thousand people on stage and the story and I loved it and I love the music so I was like okay all right you know let me actually try to see if I can fall in love with it and slowly but surely I did the opera we did um, the marriage of Figaro think about that in high school um, and then like we had some scenes programs started to really fall in love and I was like I'm gonna dedicate myself to it junior senior year did more stuff and I was like I can go to college 
So I ended up going to North Carolina School of the Arts, you know, get a, you know, go to college, get a degree. And then from there, got my master's degree at, at IU. And then, you know, tried to go out there and try to perform. And I wasn't getting any jobs. So I went back to school, uh, back to North Carolina, to back with my teacher, Dr. Marilyn Taylor. Then again, auditioning everywhere, nothing. So, you know, it's it's a hard journey, you know, and then one, you know, I was thinking about going to get my doctorate, so I applied for that. I was like, you know, I like to teach, you know, I taught all throughout my graduate studies. I was an associate instructor. Um, and then um, my some of my teachers, who all have their doctorates, by the way, was just like, don't do it. Don't go. Don't do it. And I was like, well, all of you have doctorates. And they're just like, no, no, just just wait. You're young. Don't go. Don't go. We all got ours later. Don't do it. Don't do it. And so I was like, no, I'm doing it. So I applied. I got into a couple programs. I was going to go to one. And uh, one of my teachers, he put in an application for me. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, what? You did what? So that was uh, to Des Moines Metro Opera um, to do um, their summer program. Also, their program called Opera Iowa, which was uh, outreach and community engagement for children's opera. It was like 112 shows of that. And it was brutal. Nine months in Iowa. And most of that was doing children's show. And then my career took off from there. Somebody heard me said, hey, had a colleague mention me from there, went to Palm Beach, went to right. WNO, then all the stuff that my career just started to take off, you know. And uh, 2020 rolls around, and a lot of my, our businesses shut down, and I was one of the few still working. But during that time, I, I was reflecting about what I really wanted, and I just thought, you know, I really, I really like to teach. I always have maintained a studio. So I was like, I'm going to teach, you know, and I just decided. So, and I was like, well, how do I do that? I don't have a doctorate. You know, my career is pretty good, but usually most teachers, if they don't have a doctorate, they have a long career and then they retire or semi-retire from the stage and then they go to some prestigious um, university or institution. Well, I didn't have any of that. So I was like, okay, I'm, I'm young. I don't have a doctorate. And so what do I do? So I decided that everywhere I sang, I was going to give a master class. I was like, I need to get my teaching skills in a place where I feel like I could have a full-time job at some university. So that's what I did. So over the past, those three years, I did a masterclass all over the world. Yeah. So I did about like like 30, 35 all over the world. It's a uh, lot in addition yeah. to the busy performance schedule yeah, that exactly. you had. exactly. Yep. So every time I was at a place performing, I reached out to community engagement. Oh. Are you connected to any schools or any programs somewhere in the community? I'm, I'm really about that, giving back into their communities that I'm there, trying to enrich through through my singing. But I also want to do that through my teaching. So I started doing that. And then I got a part-time job at NEC, and New England Conservatory. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to apply for every university that has an open position. <laughs> no matter what. <laughs> and yeah, so I applied and I just I applied to Eastman, you know, just like, OK, I'll it'll, it'll just see what happens. I highly doubt that they're going to give me an interview, but I'll just do it, whatever. And it was my first interview. And I had I was it was crazy. I had uh, I sent out to 10 and I got eight, seven or eight um, interviews, which was awesome. And I was shocked. <laughs> but Eastman was my first one, and I when I arrived, and I had it, at the end of the day, my head was pounding. 
my head hurt so bad. I was like, this was so much, but I knew. I said, this is a place where I want to be. And so much so when Dean Rossi uh, emailed me, said, hey, uh, a week after, let's like sit down and have a talk. I just, without him offering me anything, I canceled every single one of those interviews that I had because I just, I just felt it in my bones that I was going to be coming to Eastman. So Well, we are so glad you're here. Yeah. Eastman is a wonderful community to be a part of. I hope you've yeah. been feeling that way over the last Absolutely. few months. Absolutely. And yeah. Yeah. As we, you know, we, we talked to a lot of students about that interview process, finding the right fit for uh, employment. And yeah, it can be a quite, quite an interesting and up and down experience, but sometimes you just know when it f- feels sure. right. So, for sure. Yeah. Well, boy, it's so interesting to hear all the details about your past experience. So I, I'd like to just kind of back up a little bit. I mean, when you say boy band, I mean, are we talking like Backstreet Boys, NSYNC <laughs> kind of style? Like- well, so we were heavily influenced by um, the boy bands a little bit earlier than that. Okay. Yeah. So um, we, we were called Boys in Harmony. Oh, so okay. if you get that, you know, boys to men. Yes, yes, kind of right. Thing. So we did a lot of their covers. We did do um, a little LP of of uh, six songs. So you know, we were so we started out in middle school, sixth mm-hmm. grade. So very. What was what was our single called? It was called Rosy Red. Uh, and it's about like, you know, how, you know, when she smiles, it brightens up the day and, you know, a kiss, you know, having your first kiss mm-hmm. and, you know, the lips are rosy red. It was yeah very kitty <laughs> stuff. Um, yeah. So we, you know, we did a lot of acapella stuff, too. So it's about harmonizing. We, it was a three. It was a three boy group. So. And the record deal just never quite it just never it never came. Usually those things take time, and you know, by the time when we got to high school, we did, we did it for two years. When we got to high school, it was just kind of like oh, let's do something else. Yeah. So it just kind we just didn't stick. We didn't stick to. We didn't stick it out. Right. We didn't, you know, really go. So did uh, you have a mentor guiding you at all, or was this entirely just on the three? No, of you? this was all us. We were we were writing our own songs. We were going. We didn't have a manager. We didn't have anything. Mm-hmm. We just was like we all love to sing. We so I met uh, one of my. Um, bandmates on the bus we drove the rode the bus together go to the school go to middle school met the other one um in choir okay so you know we all knew that okay we like to sing and you know we just kind of just did it and we just kind of did it on our own so i'm sure that was another hurdle within itself but we actively like sought management or or had like one of our parents involved or something like that but we were just doing it we were having fun and it was great for you to go from that style of music making and singing into mm-hmm. the opera world, I mean, you said that, like you know when you started getting into the uh, Governor School of the Arts, there was yeah. like there was a little bit of a learning curve there for, for sure. you. Were you being encouraged to approach the actual instrument in a different way? Or? Oh yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things that kind of made me back away at first was just how difficult it was. You know, usually, I mean, when you're naturally gifted person at something you know things kind of kind of fall into place it's easy and always felt like doing r&b music singing pop music since i grew up with it it was always a part of me as a youth and my parents were listening to you know motown and all the stuff and everything it just was it's just kind of who i was so 
doing all of this uh, singing, this operatic singing, and my body, like using my full body and languages and, and learning theory and oral theory and history and all of this just to sing, I was just like, this is nuts. This is, well, this is very difficult. And I didn't like that as a teenager at first. And I was like, but I learned to really appreciate the work that it takes to be an opera singer. You know, it's a full body experience. You got to sing it from your gut, you know? So it's it's something that I, I found a, a fond appreciation for and something that's just, it's it's visceral and it's um, exciting for an instrument, for a voice to fill a hall. It's something that's it's so unique. It's nothing like it on the planet. So the, the Governor School of the Arts, if I remember correctly, actually a lot of states have different they programs do. and, you know, uh-huh. um, or maybe had governor schools. Is the one that you participated in still around? Oh, yeah. So it's still around. Um, the one uh, unique thing about our governor school in Virginia is that it's a year long program. It's just not a lot of them are summer. So there's like yes. a big one in South Carolina, I believe. That's a summer program. But ours is year long you know, for the school year. And so you're entrenched in music, in the arts. And it's not just vocal music. We have everything from dance to acting to yeah, musical theater. It's it's wonderful. Instruments, everything. So it's amazing program. I always, I, I try to go back every year. There was a point where I was giving out a scholarship there too as well to kids to go to college. So it's it's something that I'm always going to have fondest memories about and something that really kind of changed my life forever. So I'm appreciative to that place. Very, very much so. So you, you spoke a little bit about what kind of got you hooked on opera and what you've, you've enjoyed about that. Of course, your experiences as over the last decade have encouraged you to travel a lot and go to a lot of different places. Oh, yeah. So what, what inspires you about the work itself that encourage you to to move around and be able to be part of different companies and seeing these various roles yeah well you know i think first off um opera just kind of saved me you know um where i grew up where i'm from you know it's it's hard living you know i was always just trying to stay active trying to stay out of all the bad things that were happening around me um and you know playing a character having the lights and the costumes and the makeup and the wigs it transported me into just a new place you know i didn't have to in that moment think about everything that was going around me my reality and all of the you know the drug and alcoholism that's happening and the violence that's happening around me and inside my home and um it gave me that place of solace you know and it became my home for a long time And, you know, to have the opportunity then for, you know, as I said earlier, to just give me, you know, opportunity to go to college, to go to school. You know, I I didn't know if that was going to be an option for me. So to to have a higher education, then to have something that, you know, I can have potentially have a job. Now, I chose like one of the hardest fields to try to have a career in. Being a musician is hard. Um, And, you know. I, you know, I'm a teacher and I, and I advocate for it, but if you really want to do what we do, it takes a lot, you know, and a lot of sacrifice. And, but um, music and opera really just kind of changed my whole path in life. So I've always been appreciative of the art form and um, it's just done so much for me. It's kind of enriched my, my mind, body, and soul. Um, I think it made me a better person. 
you know, it, it put me in focus, you know, it changed my mindset about the world and um, the people that I had the opportunity to meet and all of the best people that were in my life were musicians, you know, and they, they really taught me how to be a well-rounded human, you know, so, you know, it takes me to all like, these cool places, right, which is dope, which is great. I think it's a cool part of the job. Um, and I get to, to meet a lot of amazing people and do a lot of amazing works, you know, and characters. Um, but the heart of it and the soul of it, of, of what we do in the camaraderie and um, the music and how the music lives and breathes and how the stories align with our lives. I think that's what's really important to me. How did some of those challenges in your formative years also, how has that influenced the community engagement work that you do now? Well, I mean, it's huge. So I like to, you know, why am I a teacher, right? Because my career is going really, really well. I didn't need to make a transition for monetary gain or to have stability. I had, I have stability, even just being a singer, which I'm very fortunate because not many people can very fortunate and lucky mixed in with a little bit of talent. <laughs> but when it comes to, you know, what I've been through, what I had were my teachers and my mentors to get me through that. Um, a few people, I want to mention them by name. Um, Robert Brown, um, who was my high school teacher, um, who believed in me and was so hard on me. And, you know, he got me at, at some of my worst because I was a kid from the streets and he molded me into being a young man. Um, and he's passed on, but I'll never forget the contributions he's made to my life and so many others. Um, he has a, a plethora of opera singers who are world class today. And I wish he could see us now because he would be so proud. Um, so, uh, Robert Brown, who, um, he would, you know, I didn't have money for lunch and dinner. He provided that for me when I, um, wanted to go to a school to audition in person, he paid for my flight and he came with me to accompany me. You know, these, these are the type of mentors and teachers I had in my life. Um, and also Alan Fisher, who also ran that program, who's retired now from Governor's School for the Arts. Um, shout out to you, too, because he's the one who really encouraged me to go to North Carolina School of the Arts. Um, and that's where I met my next mentor, Dr. Stephen Lacoste, who I just talked to this morning. Um, and uh, another saving grace, another teacher still teaching. He runs the, the A.J. Fletcher Opera Institute at the North Carolina School of the Arts. Um, and again, I didn't have, when I got to um, college, I didn't have a place to stay during breaks when it would close, when the school would close down for the holiday. And um, I didn't have a place to go in the summers. Um, I was pretty much homeless if I wasn't in school. You know, I had a scholarship to stay in the dorm. So, um, and he knew that. And he, you know, he would travel to go home um, for the holidays. So, he would let me stay at his home. He would buy me a tree and leave presents underneath there. So, you know, I never had a tree. 
So, you know, I had these kind of teachers in my life. Also, I was telling the story earlier, he's the one who sent in my application at Des Moines, right? So, you know, he has always been a huge advocate of mine and take care of me. He's always been a father figure in my life. But that's the kind of teachers that I had. So when I decided that I wanted to be a teacher, it's because I have to give back what everyone has poured into me um, to, to make it this far, you know? We need teachers and mentors who will go the little extra mile um, for a student who needs a little more extra attention, a little more help. You know, I had all talent in the world, but if I didn't have that help, who knows where I would be? I might not be able to stay in school. I might not have been able to make it through high school if I didn't have those people in my life. So that's why... I, I wanted to be a teacher, an instructor, to not only just teach people how to sing, but to help them become well-rounded human beings and give them the help that I sorely needed. That's what stood out to me most as you mentioned all this, that all of the qualities you cited, none of them were singing focus, right? Yeah. No, not once you didn't yeah. say, well, <laughs> this teacher really encouraged me to have really tall vowels, well, right? So, <laughs> you know, so yeah. it, it sounds like that has shaped your teaching philosophy sure. so much that it's all about the complete person. That's right. It's not just the, the thing. Yeah. That, yeah. Looking to gain experience in the Rochester area? Visit the IML's Gig Service and Job Opportunities Board. Find freelance opportunities on the Gig Service and explore local part-time and full-time jobs on the Job and Opportunities Board. Head over to the IML website to get paid. For more information, visit us at the IML office or email us at iml at esm.rochester.edu. So I, I do want to ask you about some of the roles you sang, some of your sure, experiences. Sure. I mean, just if you were to think back about what you've done, do you have a favorite opera that you've sang or a favorite role or yeah. something that's inspired you? Well, for sure. Favorite role is Falstaff um, from Falstaff by uh, Giuseppe Verdi. And he's a, a hell of a lot of fun to play. What's really cool about this role is not, even though, you know, of course it's Verity, it's about the singing, but this is about how do you handle the stage. Uh, and it's, it's that kind of challenge. And you're on stage all night long, right? So it is, it is a, a balancing act of stamina, of acting, of singing, and, you know, what you bring. You have to bring your full, your full palette of musicianship to this role. So it's something that like I, I did early on as as a grad student and maybe that was a little too early. But <laughs> I've been constantly learning new things and doing it. I just got contracted to do it again. Um so I'm looking forward to it and hopefully doing it until I die. Yeah. 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 So. You've mentioned Italian opera a couple of times oh, today. Yeah. Do you, is that a favorite of yours? Do you feel at oh, home yeah. in some of those yeah. roles so, and styles? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, Italian opera is kind of just everything. So Puccini and Verdi, Barismo, Bel Canto, that's the, the bee's knees, right? Mm-hmm. Um, also, though, um, I made my career with new music. I think new music and advocating for new stories, new composers, and new librettists is so important for the survival of our business and the survival of our art. Because Falstaff was once new, and Torandot was once new, right? And um, people commissioned them, and 
we tend to forget that when we have these things in repertoire, right? And um, having something that was built for you, um, that was considered for you in your voice, in your throat, in your body, um, there's nothing more special. Getting ready to do some new music here um, in the Finger Lakes, at Finger Lakes Opera, um, opera called uh, Two Corners uh, by uh, B.E. Boykin and uh, Gerard Lee, librettist, was a friend of mine, based off of a, a true story. So it's great at the turn of the century, early 1900s, right? That's, that's weird because I was born in 1900, early 1900s. That sounds like I'm like old. But yeah, so it's very important to me and I think in my humble opinion, for the survival of what we do, because we just need new stories, um, bring in new, or that's how we bring in new audiences, not by trying to modernize old opera, it's by telling our stories today. Those stories that they told, they were telling their story. You know, when Mozart wrote La Noche de Figaro, even though he said it in the 1500s in Spain, he was talking about what's going on in today's time. And that's what we have to do, too. We have to get people in by telling our stories and how they relate to us today. Yeah. Well, on that note, I want to ask you about your experiences with Anthony Davis's um, Malcolm X. Yeah. Right. And I think you mm-hmm. sang the role of Reginald, uh, Malcolm yeah. X's brother. Uh-huh. Um, and if I remember correctly, not only you sung the role, but you did the recording as I well. Did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Grammy nominated. Grammy nominated. Yeah, yeah. All that stuff is really cool. Yeah. yeah. Tell us about that experience, especially doing an opera, just like you were saying, stories that haven't been told via the opera yeah. medium. Well, that's, that's an interesting beginning to that story, which is first, I'll tell a little personal story. Um, I got offered the gig and I was super excited about it. Um, it was going to start in Detroit and then it's going to move to Omaha, to Boston to the Metropolitan Opera, Seattle Opera, and then Chicago Lyric. And they were, most of them were like, yeah, if you do this one, we'll carry you all to the rest. And I was like, oh, that's a, that's three or four years of work. It's incredible. That's pretty much unheard of, especially to travel with the show. That doesn't really happen in opera. More of a musical theater thing. You travel with the show, you do a national tour or whatever. This was unique. And so I was like, oh, this is great. I said, all right, what's the dates? And it said, oh, May 21st, 2022 is the first date. And I think the I think a week before, like May 14th, May 21st, like something like that, three days. And I said, oh, crap. And I looked at my wife and I said, when is your due date? Because she was pregnant with our son. And she said, May 21st. And I said, oh, no. Oh, my gosh. I said, all right, well, I'm a, I'll call him and I'll call my manager and tell him we can't do it. And she looked at me and she said, you're going to do all of these shows. Are you crazy? And she said, figure it out. And I said, all right, OK, I'll figure it out. So we talked to our doctor and asked them if we could have a scheduled pregnancy uh, in between the shows. <laughs> and they said, well, since you're uh, an older person having a, a baby, it's a geriatric pregnancy, um, you can schedule it. You can schedule the birth. And I said, oh, okay. So I called. I had a friend at, at Detroit Opera, and I said, hey, my wife is pregnant. The due date is the day of the last show, but we can schedule it. We have three days in between. We can schedule the birth. Is that Okay. And they said, absolutely. 
So, <laughs> yeah, so I did the show. For, I did opening night, flew out the next morning. She started the procedure. It was, took a long time. It was 52-hour wow. uh, labor, and 30, 28 of that was active. Uh-huh, yeah, and uh, she was a champion, and she's the champ, and I will always love her for that. Um, I don't think there's anything I can do to ever compare to that. Um, and I held him in my arms, slept that night, and said bye, <laughs> and went back and did a show. Uh-huh, and so she had to go. <laughs> yes, she had to go. She had to leave by herself with a baby back home by herself. And, and I can echo the sentiment that, yeah. yes, the whole delivery labor, wow. Uh-huh. But, yeah. yeah, I think you departing and leaving yeah. the brand new yeah. mother and baby, baby yeah. that's even more so. Uh-huh, yep. I was like, wow. Love you. Gotta go. Love you both. Bye. <laughs> Well, incredible that you got to do that yeah. and also that it all uh-huh. worked out. Um, yeah, all any worked out. any uh, birthing person knows and parent knows it. Sometimes you can't always schedule that stuff. My daughter uh-huh. arrived nine days before the due date, so uh-huh. you, you can't always oh, yeah. plan it out. You can't but, always plan it out. Um, incredible. Out. Yeah. Well, so what was it like to, to see yeah. that role and be a part of the production? So, you know, it's doing Reginald. I was just like, okay, I need to really dig in because, you know, I've actually, um, I'm, I love history. So I've already done, so, uh, even before I knew there was even an opera that existed by Michael Max, I knew a lot about Michael Max. I already read his books. I already watched all the movies, you know, the, the dramatized movies and all that stuff. So I was like, hmm, I remember there was a mention of Reginald in the books. Let me do some research. I don't remember anything about him. So I reread them and I started to read and, and I was like, oh, okay, here it is. And I started to jot down some stuff. And there's some little stuff here and there, finding some articles about him and actually found the... Um, an interview that he had did um, when he was a little bit older, and um, and I was like, okay, wow, this man actually had a really profound effect on Malcolm X. His brother and why he's in the opera um, is because he's the one who led him to the Nation of Islam. He's the one who joined first. Um, even though you don't hear a lot, um, he was with him in New York. For a lot of that in New York and New Jersey, um, he was there. Reginald was there. And he always um, referred to Reginald, even though, because Re- Reginald was like his his little big brother. Um, they always called him like little Malcolm, but he was big. He's a big guy. Um, and so was Malcolm. Malcolm was a tall guy, too. These Both both of these guys were tall, big guys. Um, and um, he always said that he was a smart, he was the smart one. Because you know, he, you know, Malcolm he like gambled and stole, but Reginald he found him a sugar mama. Yeah, so he was like, he said Reginald's always smart because he instead of following me and doing all this bad stuff, he got a woman, an older woman, and she took care of him. Mm-hmm. He had a he had a house, he had a car, all that, and it was all legal. And so, <laughs> so yeah, but you know, um, Reginald he's the one who. Um, was very religious and he found the nation and he came and he visited Malcolm in prison and talked, you know, talked to him about it, joining the nation and Reginald got him started. And so I was like, okay, well, I'm not just some side character. This is very important, impactful person in his life. 
And so I, I try to come at it from with that seriousness and um, just learning all these intricacies about Malcolm's life and his journey. I mean, quite frankly, his journey is, is much more like mine. Mm. You know, you know, I was I was fortunate enough not to, you know, indulge myself in all of the, the different intricacies that was happening around me in my life. And I stayed away. But what he had to deal with and the trauma that he had to deal with and, and break through um, is actually quite remarkable. But, you know, believe in his politics or not, the things that he had to overcome and to do and to be where he was and to touch people, no matter if you agree with it or not, is actually quite profound. And uh, I built up a huge amount of respect for him and his family. And even, you know, when he didn't agree with things that were happening with the nation, he stood up when no one else would. So I've come to find a huge respect for him and his family and to tell this story now because I think he is due some flowers. We tend to forget that even though we praise MLK, they hated him Mm -hmm. when he was alive. So um, I think there is merit to praise this man and he did a lot of good Mm -hmm. as much as you know I can disagree with some of the things that he said but he evolved and you can see his evolution to try to be a a decent human and to serve his community I can applaud that what's it like um from the opera standpoint to tell a story about real life about history compared to maybe some other operas that are fictional Mm -hmm. well you know, so as somebody who lives in the new music spectrum as, as part of my career, a big part of my career, um, we do a lot of things, particularly now, especially when the pandemic happened, where it is uh, centered around blackness and about our pain and about our suffering. And that takes a huge toll on you because it's, it's real. You feel it. You know, doing doing not doing Malcolm X, doing a show called Blue. That's you know about family, but about police and police brutality. You know, doing shows like that, doing a show like uh, Proximity. That was uh, the lyric. I did the, I did that. I was a part of that. Um, also doing uh, the Fox Totem by Will Liverman and DJ King Rico. All of these shows um, reflect on my life. And I have to do that on stage takes a toll, you know, Um, it takes that much from just trying not to cry just so that people understand that this is happening today, you know, and I I take pride that I have the opportunity to tell these stories, to let people know that they're that they are happening. But it comes at a cost does for us to get up there and tell these stories that are so personal. You know, it's, I'm really bearing, even though when I sing a, a role that's made up or that's not a part of my culture, you know, I'm bearing my soul, you know. But when I do something that, that's about me, that's for me, I'm bearing my soul and I'm ripping my heart out all at the same time. Yeah. 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 I mean, you mentioned earlier how uh, opera even gave you a little bit of an escape sometimes, right? Oh, it yeah. allowed you to put on the that's makeup right. and, and, and do makeup, a role. Yeah. This must be a completely different experience when you do have to. That's right. It's an absolutely different experience, um, one that I accept, but it's, oh, it's different. We know that it's us on stage, and that's hard enough to do, to be out there and to sing for thousands of people and to hope that they get that nourishment for them, you know, because what we do is really important. And 
We say people. I know we think, we think it's trivial, but there's a reason that everybody on the planet loves music. You know, it's, it's universal. Music is universal and music goes to a deeper place. We feel it in our body, in our bones, in our souls. Um, so it's really important just in general. But telling these stories too culturally makes an impact. So I think it's just important, no matter how I, how I feel about it internally, that somebody tells the stories. And if it's not for you, then it's not for you. And that's okay. If you don't want to do that, don't do that. You know, because it can take a toll. It can be difficult. But I probably take up that mantle and I do that. Because, I mean, luckily for me, I have a beautiful wife and son at home who uplift me and make me feel loved and appreciated. So that when I'm bearing my soul and like, look at what happens to us in our community. You know, I can come home and feel some solace. It takes a lot, but it's an honor and privilege to do. It really is. And do you see that impact reflected in the audience, both either who's attending or the oh, impact yeah. left on them? Oh, yeah. I mean, you see. I mean, you see it and you feel it. You talk to them. You know, I, I make it a, a point to, to try to, to talk to them, to get out there and, and talk to them. And you see a lot of them, you know, they see it on TV sometimes or sometimes they don't even see it, you know. So, you know, they're caught up in your own lives. Sometimes you just don't see the things that happen around you or you just or you have the privilege to ignore it. You know, but when it's when you come to the show and it's in your face, you can't ignore it anymore. You have to sit there and you have to deal with it. Right. And now you have to deal in that reality and you see them go through their emotions and how they deal and a lot, uh, fortunately, um, some of the times we get to have a Q&A with them after the show um, when we do such impactful works and to hear them talk and to acknowledge that, you know, I haven't been paying enough attention. I haven't been doing enough and I need to do more. It's, it's a great thing to feel that I made that impact in somebody's life. And now hopefully they can use whatever power that they have on, or whatever energy that they, they have and do something, make the world a better place in whatever way that they can. Yeah, This reminds me of uh, another interview you had where you made a comment uh, that our art form brings joy and life to people. And this was from the Annapolis mm-hmm. Voc- Opera Vocal Competition, right? Maybe just a couple of years ago. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. So... W- I can hear in this discussion about your, the impact left on the audience, right? That it brings them reality in life, mm-hmm. right? And of course, if it's something that's meant to bring joy, it can. What recommendations do you have to musicians to be able to do that level of work, not just put on a performance? Yeah. So I think, especially as, I guess, let me speak as a singer, um, because, you know, as an opera singer and as a musician, a lot of times we get so caught up in the singing we forget about everything else. You know, my job as a teacher, first and foremost, right, should be technique, doing all these things. And we do that. But it's also my job to remind them that they have more of a job to do than just that. You have to, when you're sitting down with anything that, that you have, even if it's from, you know, the 18th century, you have to sit down, understand where these composers were coming from, why they wrote it, what are they saying, how is it being said, if it's in a different language, how is that meant to be said, how can you translate that, how do they say it in that language, what are the characters, what has happened before you, who's done it before you, what did they do, how did they approach it, 
right? It's about like having having the history, having the understanding so that when you get up there, you can now tell a story because that's why people come. They want to hear beautiful singing and then they also want a story. Otherwise, why come to an opera, right? So it's important that we teach our students that they have to tell a story in their voice, through their voice, through their eyes, through their bodies, right? Through their movements, all those things. And sometimes that can be lacking in the studio because, I mean, quite frankly, you don't have enough time, right? But um, we have to find better ways to get our students to tell the story because that's what gets through, right? I feel like it's my job to kind of just give them that well-rounded education to know that when you get out there, everybody can sing. They all have talent. Now it's everything else that makes you into a professional that people want to see. So that's why I'm always constantly working on my language skills, constantly working on what can I say as an artist? What can I say as a musician? Not just how pretty I sing. So thinking ahead to the future here about doing that work, what are some upcoming projects that you're excited about? I'm working on my debut solo album, um, which I'm going to be recording on campus. Um, and uh, some of the engineers uh, will be students who will be helping out and faculty. And um, it's going to be, I'm going to record on the River Campus. And it's going to be, it's about my journey um, in music. So it's going to be like a lot of new music um, by black composers, um, older music by black composers, some of the, um, and it's all American music. So all in English, all American, some of the American heavy hitters like, you know, Barber and Ives and those things. And just really about like my journey as uh, a musician in America and things that mean something to me and doing uh, spirituals. uh, And so it's going to be a great project. Um, We're going to start recording that in May. And uh, I'm still curating and throwing stuff in, throwing stuff out. So we'll see where, where I land on. But I've been actually been curating um, a recital. Um, and my recital is going to be in, in March here. So it's going to be my, my fourth stop, I believe, third or fourth stop of my recital. And the recording is based off of this recital. So some of this, most of it will make it to the album, but not all of it. And so I'm constantly trying to make it evolve. And we'll see. I'm still working on the title for the album. But uh It'll be, hopefully it'll drop in June. Great. And yeah. for listeners who are interested in staying in touch and hearing more about the album, how can they find out more about you? Yeah, please um, go to my website, joshuaconyers.com. Um, yeah, that, I mean, that's a great place to start there. You can go on my socials. I don't know any of those handles. So <laughs> just look up Joshua Conyers opera, baritone or something. You'll find me. Yeah, but go to my website, check out my stuff. And yeah, please. Yeah, yeah I'd love to see you. I always ask alumni to reminisce on their time at Eastman. You've only been with us a couple of months yeah. here, but I'm still going to pose the same question. If you think back to your first semester here right. teaching at Eastman, what are some, some favorite memories or very poignant moments for you? Sure. Well, I think the, the first thing is how everyone has been so supportive of, of me and what I do. And that's my colleagues and the students. You know, I've... As we talked about, I've had, you know, I have a full career and, you know, being a full-time teacher now and a full-time opera singer is hard and I'm learning that. (laughs) Um, But, you know, this season um, was a full season. I still, you know, um, had some contracts I needed to fulfill and some debuts I needed to make. Um, And so I've been in and out 
and everybody's been so supportive. My students, I've been so concerned because I was like, oh my gosh, they're going to hate me because I'm going to be gone. They've been so supportive and rooting for me. And like, I feel so much support from them and how happy they are for me just to work with them. Um, it's just been exciting and how talented and smart all of them are. Um, so it's just been wonderful. And the community, the Rochester community, everybody's so nice. It kind of creeps me out a little bit. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm in the grocery store and everybody's just like, hi, how are you? And I'm just like, why are you talking to me? And I'm just like, you know, I'm a city boy, you know, so yeah, <laughs> we don't talk to each other. So it's been, it's been actually, it's been quite wonderful. My son has been having a great time. So, and my wife is really enjoying it and she's really loving it here. So I feel at home and I'm just looking forward to many, many years here at Eastman. Well, Professor Conyers, thank you so much for sharing your time with us and your story. We look forward to much more ahead and staying in touch about the album. We'll be sure to share that in our notes as well. All right. Thank you so much. Today's episode of Careers in Crescendo, Lessons for Musicians, was produced by Jacob Rose. The music was written and produced by Will Jay, and the artwork designed by Joyce Seng. As always, if you have questions, comments, or ideas for episodes, please contact us via our website at iml.esm.rochester.edu. If you like this episode, share it with your friends and colleagues and leave us a review on your preferred streaming platform. This podcast is a production of the Institute for Music Leadership at the Eastman School of Music. The views expressed in the podcast are the interviewees and do not represent the Eastman School of Music or the Institute for Music Leadership. From the IML... I'm Jeff Dunn. See you next time.